Thank you guys so much for uh, joining us here this morning. As you open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 127, as you make your way to Psalms 127, I just want to remind everybody uh, that this coming Friday night is the Wild Game uh, Feast. We are super excited about that here at Eden. It's a great evangelistic opportunity. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to eat some great food. Uh, I'm going to have the opportunity to share the gospel, man. So this is a great opportunity to invite lost people. In fact, if, if we don't invite friends and lost people there, then really why are we doing it in the first place? We want to be able to see people come to faith in Christ. And so I encourage you guys this week, uh, be personally inviting people. It's, it's one thing to share posts on Facebook and all that, that's great, but the personal invite, bring somebody with you is what matters most. And so uh, we're looking forward uh, to that. But today we're going to begin a new series entitled 12 Conversations Every Parent Needs to Have. Now, the goal of this series is to speak directly to, to help equip and prepare parents as far as in how to shape our children's worldview. But this is going to be a helpful series for everybody. You don't have to be a parent here today for this to apply to you because ultimately we're going to go back to Genesis and we're going to look at 12 foundational truths about God, humanity, the world. We're going to talk about God's design and His plan for humanity and ultimately, how these essentials can help better help us uh, shape our children's worldview. Uh, our hopes is in this series is that we're going to better equip parents in how to have these conversations because ultimately it is our responsibility to shape our children's worldview. But also uh, to ultimately from this point begin to develop a resource that we can continue to use for the days ahead. Our hopes would be these 12 essential conversations would one day be something maybe in 2023 where January is the month where we call our whole church to have conversation number one with all the children in your home that there is a God. And then if we do that from the time we have kids that are in first grade all the way up through 12th grade, then we have as a church invested intentional time in having some intentional conversations with our kids. And so we are really looking forward to this. Now the reason why this is so important for us here today is because most of us today are aware of the intentional, poor, uh, intentional push by the forces of darkness to turn the hearts and minds of our children and grandchildren away from what is clearly communicated in God's Word. If we pay attention, we can see that this push is not even a veiled attempt, but is blatantly public and comes often in the forms of politicians, cause leaders, and even often liberal educators. The agenda, the agenda of these groups is to ultimately step between parents and our children in hopes of giving them a secular worldview that holds to truths like there is no God, there is no such thing as right and wrong, work is oppressive, sexuality and gender is fluid, and things like these. And honestly, they have been very successful thus far. One of the blatant attempts to hijack our children's worldview was seen just this past year uh, when the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir released a song that was honestly an a honest assessment of what their intentions are uh, in the in ultimately to win the hearts and minds of our kids. I can't I wouldn't read the whole song, but let me give you the chorus to this song. This is what it was said. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit. Quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. We'll convert your children. Yes, we will. 
Now, this is not the agenda of everybody that's in the LGBTQ community, but the reality is, is that this idea and ideas like this is to continually propagate uh, the sense of drawing the next generation away from the things of God. Parents and grandparents and church members, we all have a hand in influencing the next generation to honor God, and we are clearly in a fight. Pastor Michael Catt of a church in Georgia once said, whoever wants the next generation the most will have them. Now, while we're fighting, while while this can be frightening for some of us, it should be sobering to all of us. The truth is, is that God doesn't want us as parents to be afraid. Parents, praise God, we still have a great few tools up our sleeve that God has given us to be able to raise up our children, no matter how secular the world around us may become. First and foremost, we have the timeless truths of God's Word that has never failed and does not change. Secondly, you have the great influence that is given by God in the lives of your children. It doesn't matter what forces necessarily are trying to come in from the outside, and they are coming. The loudest and most consistent voice that can be available, we don't always take uh, advantage of that, is the voice of parents in the lives of their children. But then also in this great fight for the hearts and minds of the next generation is that we have the great responsibility as parents not to back down from this fight. We are fighting not for votes and we're fighting not for elections and we're fighting not for acceptance. We are fighting for the truth and to honor our living God. So with that being said, let's look at our text today. Psalms chapter 127. Solomon says... Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor who build it in vain. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is futile for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labor. This is how he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now let me give you a few truths about this psalm that you need to know first and foremost. First, this psalm finds its place in among the psalms of ascent. Psalms, psalms chapter 120 all the way through Psalms 134 is held in Jewish tradition as the Psalms of Ascent. What is said was done is while the people of God were on their way up the hill towards Jerusalem to worship. And some even said while they were taking the steps up to the temple is that they would recite these Psalms from memory. So these were held a special place among the worship of God's people in the Old Testament. Secondly, you need to know that Psalms 127 was recorded by Solomon, but most scholars believe that it was likely passed down to him by his father, David. Now, the fact that this psalm finds its place among the regular pattern of worship for God's people in the Old Testament tells us that parenting is a holy action of worship for the people of God. And the priority of reaching the next generation is vastly important. When you think about the regular practice of worship as the people of God are ascending the hill to to Jerusalem to worship is that they would be reciting these psalms. And right in the middle of these psalms, you find Psalms 127 that says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of a womb is a reward. This was a moment to thank God and to recognize the responsibility of parenting and children is vast. 
So today, before we get into these guiding truths, now next week we'll begin taking three of these guiding truths a week, and that's going to take us for the next four weeks. Today, we first need to call us to this task as parents to have these conversations with our kids, to ultimately disciple our children. So the first, our, our title of our message today is Two Guiding Truths for Godly Parents. If you're keeping notes here today, which, by the way, in your uh, sermon bulletins there, uh, you have the sermon notes. How many of you guys like that here today? Y'all fired up about that? Praise. I don't listen now. That Y'all like it way too much. Now that may mean I have problems. Anyway, so if you're keeping notes here today, first, godly parents need God. Our first truth today is just godly parents need God. Our first principle for godly parents comes from these first two verses. And in these first two verses, the psalmist points to us our great need for God in three areas of our life. Building a house, guarding a city, and making a living or laboring for bread. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is futile for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labor. This is how he gives to his beloved sleep. Now you may say, Pastor Zach, what does that have to do with parenting? Let me give you a few things you need to know about this text. First, it is important for us to know that the purpose of this passage is not meant to disengage people from their responsibilities, but rather to show them that they are intended to do these actions with and alongside the strength of God. These passages, these, this, uh, these verses here are intended to show people that you need God. He doesn't say it's wrong to build a house. He just says it's wrong to try to do it without the strength of God. He doesn't say it's wrong to watch over and protect a city. It's just it's worthless to do it without the eyes and the strength of God. He doesn't say that it's wrong to labor for bread and provide but you shouldn't do it without also resting in God. Here, David is reminding his son, Son, you must lean on God. Now, the second thing that you need to look at here is that these tasks here in this text relate very closely to some of our most basic responsibilities in parenting. While the actions of building something, protecting a city, providing for others would have been clearly a responsibility for any king, it's hard for us to overlook the fact that the context of the remaining portion of this psalm is about parenting and the family. Most scholars agree that this psalm is not meant to be read in two independent sections, but they are intentionally linked. It is possible that David was instructing his son that he should shepherd his people as a king like he would a family. But it is also very likely that the actions that are seen in these first two verses are meant to be connected with parenting in some way. One commentator spoke of the connection of the first part of Psalms chapter 127 concerning man's basic responsibilities in life and the second part concerning parenting in saying this, What we build and keep watch over, what we rise early for and stay up late intending in our lives, only matters if God is a part of it. And then he adds, children are intended to be the greatest building project of our lives. Here, in Sol- here Solomon addresses three godly, God-given responsibilities that remind us of some of the greatest responsibilities of parenting. Building a house reminds us of the responsibility to build a home. Guarding a city reminds us of the responsibility as parents to protect that home. And then toiling for bread reminds us of the responsibility to provide for our home. 
So if you're a parent here today, or a grandparent for that matter, God has given us these great responsibilities, and we desperately need Him in order to complete them. So let me walk through these very briefly here today and see how God wants to help us complete these responsibilities as parents. First, godly parents have the responsibilities to build the home, and we need God's help to do that. For centuries, the home has been the most important place in society. It was the place where your physical needs were met. It was a place for education. It was a place for spiritual and moral development. It was a place to ask questions and gain wisdom. It was a place where you often learned to trade. It was a place where you were entertained and had fun. It was a place where you would ultimately retire and be cared for. The Hebrew word in this passage for house is more than just a physical dwelling, but it also means a household or the family. The home or the family, in God's eyes, is more than just people living under the same roof, sharing the same DNA and the same last name. God designed the home to be the place where family was manifested. A place of belonging and bringing. A place of love and labor. A place of rest and responsibility. A place of direction and discipline. Billy Graham spoke about the importance of the home, saying this, The home should be a self-contained shelter of security. A kind of school where life's most basic lessons are taught. God designed the home to be the foundation of society, church family, and the responsibility to build that home lands at the feet of parents. In the great Ten Commandments, the pinnacle of God's law in Exodus 20 verse 12, we see God reminding us of the importance of parents saying this, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. The command to honor your father and mother shows us that from the very beginning that God established the leadership of parents in the eyes of children because God expected parents to lead. The reality is that even the foundational truth that that parents are intended to lead and shepherd their children is being challenged in our society today. Just in January 2022, an MSNBC reporter spoke about this traditional view of parents leading the children and said this, We must break from the thoughts that kids belong to their parents. They belong to all of us. Well, as Brother John Hambright used to say, there's a Greek word for that. It's called hogwash. In our world today, in an age in which everything we do is critiqued and criticized, parents are not immune. So-called experts seem to be around every corner telling parents how they should raise their children. Now parents, I want to let you know something today before God. You don't have to apologize to anyone for leading your kids reverently before God in the best way you see fit. God didn't give your children to doctors. He didn't give them to culture. He didn't give them to the state or administrators or your neighbors. They are yours and you will stand before God for them, not anyone else. Sadly, in our society today, many of these responsibilities that God gave to the home has been released to pay and receive organizations, and we are reaping the fruit of it. Social Security takes care of the elderly now, not the home. The Department of Education takes care of schooling, not the home. Parks and recs and gaming systems take care of the entertainment. College and universities take care of the trades, even in church 
student and children's ministries can sometimes be wrongly interpreted as the vessel to take care of children's spiritual needs. Let me say this to you here today. I praise God for our next generation team here at Enon Baptist Church. I thank God for Luke Chris, and I thank God for Brian Rice and Angela and and Lisa, and I thank God for Micah as he's going to step in and help us in that role. But I want you to know something today here, parents. They are never intended to replace you, but to support you. The gov- these government and societal programs are not all bad. And they can be a great resource to us as parents. But they were never intended to replace the home. The goal of every parent should be that when a child becomes an adult, they look back on their childhoods and say that it was a season where they learned the most, where they were the most prepared to be men and women of God whom He had created them to be. And the truth is, is that every parent here today, including the one who wrote the sermon, is that all of us know that there's more that we can do. All of us know that there's moments where we feel defeated. But I want you to know something here today. Every mama and daddy and grandparent, everybody who's in this room, every single mom, single dad, every one of you is here today, and you have the responsibility of raising and calling up the next generation. I want you to know this here today. This whole passage, again, is not God saying it's wrong to build the home. He's saying it's just wrong to do it without me. God is saying here today, yes, you're not perfect, but I want to help you. I want to step into this with you. Some of you may be asking today, Oh God, how would I begin to build my home and make it a godly home? And I will say this today. First, the first thing you can do is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You can never point your children to a God in whom you do not know. The first thing you need to do today, and I'll say this takes care of 99.9% of parenting. If you will love Jesus, first and foremost, that will take care of almost everything else. Firstly, give your life to Jesus. And then also, pray and ask God for one practical step today to take in your home this week to make Jesus the center of your home. Just ask for one practical step. It may be praying with your children every night. It may be reading a Bible story with them. It may be that you, that you start stop watching certain things on TV that you watch. I mean, there's other things that God may lay in your life, but you just say, God, give me one practical step. You don't have to know every next step. You just got to know the next right step and begin to implement that in your home. So again, first, godly parents have the responsibility of building the home. Secondly, godly parents have the responsibility of protecting the home. And we need God's help to do that. Look at the second part of verse 1. It clearly reminds us of our responsibility to protect the home. It says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now again, this idea reminds us of the natural desire within parents to take care of their children. How many of you remember growing up, again, if you were a child of the 80s like I was, my mom had a blue Astro van. I think everybody had one of these Astro vans, and and we don't even know where the seatbelts were in them. Like, if they were there, I've never seen them. But I remember riding in the front seat with my mom, and if she ever had to slam on her brakes, what was the first thing that she did was the hand to go across the front, and it didn't matter how bad the car wreck was, your sternum was almost broken, you know. Mom, I'm glad we survived that wreck, but now I can't breathe. You know? It's natural. It's built into parents to protect our children. And this is right before the Lord. There are many ways that a parent protects their child. Parents, we are called to protect our children physically. And that is, that is, that's what we're probably most familiar with. And we need to. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. You know what the word foolishness really means? It basically means stupid. Okay? 
And we know as children that that's absolutely what they can do. They don't understand danger. They don't understand certain situations. I remember one of the worst whippings that my mother ever gave me is when me and my younger cousin Walt had been playing by my granddad's pond. And when we brought back to her like we were walking up from some great safari, the cottonmouth snake that we had killed with our BB guns. And after she whipped me and was chewing out my cousin so bad, I genuinely remember my cousin raising his hand and saying, Aunt Lynn, can you just whip me like you did Zach? (laughs) But sadly, hear this, this is the problem. If we stop at just physically caring for our children, then we have only gone so far. Parents, we're called to protect our children mentally and emotionally. This type of parental protection is God making sure that our children are not seeing or hearing things that are inappropriate for them, that can scar their tender hearts. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, Paul used the example of a mother's tenderness to speak about his own preaching. God calls us as parents to be tender at times because children are tender. And in an age where society, the goal seems to be to make our children more adult-like, more sensual, more brash, and ultimately less tender, it is the goal of parents to guard the natural tenderness within our children as long as it is appropriate. Our children will one day have to face the harshness of this world, but if they face it too early, it doesn't strengthen them, it scars them. I know some dads, oh, man, you've got to toughen up. It's going to grow him up. Let me say something to you. As a pastor, some of my greatest counseling situations with individuals is that often they're dealing with the issues that they dealt with in childhood that could have easily been guarded and protected from them if their parents had guarded their minds and their souls. And often it's even in forms like media. By the way, parents... Everybody has phones. Can I just say something to you here today? I mean, this is, this is, I'm not stepping on toes here. But there's a question we have to ask at some point. Do our children really need phones? At what point do they need them? And in what access do they have on them? What do we have access within our schools? What do we have the point that can be put in front of them? Because what is in front of their eyes, the Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. What sees here goes here. And it's our responsibility to care for them. Also, parents are called to protect their children spiritually concerning sin and temptation. John 10.10, Jesus said the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The enemy's ultimate purpose is not to bother your children, but to destroy your children. And you know whose responsibility it is to lead the children? It's the parents. And I would say, first and foremost, fathers. To spiritually lead our children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now let me say this to you here today for all you single moms who are out there today. Listen, praise God that you do the best you can. You've got a heavenly Father who can step in and help and discipleship of other godly men around you. If that's you, we would love to help you alongside that process. But that being said, dads in the home here today, it is your responsibility to spiritually lead your family. Do not advocate that to your wife. As parents... Us protecting our children from sin and temptation is to be an earthly representation of our Heavenly Father. We do it by teaching them God's standard. Ultimately, we do it by disciplining them according to God's standard. And also, we do this by ultimately, when they do step out of God's standard, we show them through the process of discipline. 
Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. I love this. It says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. I love that. And then verse 14, it says, Punish them with a rod and save them from death. Parents, inflicting the pain of discipline can spare our children from the sting of sin and death. It's not fun. But you've got to be a parent enough. I've got to be a parent enough to step into the not fun. To not be their friend, but to be their father, to be their mother. To step into those moments of discipline because you very well may be saving their lives. Parents, protecting our kids can seem daunting at times. But again, reminder this passage is not that we should not be the watchman, but that we should be the watchman with God with us. God wants to step into that with you. I remember my Christian friend telling the story about when he was in high school, he was rebelling against God. And his parents found out about a party that he was at that he was not supposed to be at. Mom went over to the party and picked him up, and she could tell as he got in the car that he was angry instead of like humble and meek. And she said, why are you so angry? He said, Mom, it's not fair. She said, what's not fair? He said, every time I try to do something, Jesus always lets you know, and I always get caught. And without, without even hesitating, she looked in the rearview mirror, looked back at him, said, that's right, big boy, and don't think we're taking a break anytime soon. Again, parents, we're called to be the watchman, but not the watchman alone, but to be the spiritual watchman. Say, oh, God, help me to protect my family. Give me wisdom and discernment. Show me when things are right and wrong. And this is important, by the way, for spiritual discernment in parenting right now because the enemy is veiling so many of these attempts to change our children's worldview, not in something that is easily noticeable. Even in cartoons, even in things that are seemingly innocent, you have to pay attention to that there are subtle, subtle ways that the enemy is at work. You cannot be a disengaged parent today. We have to be engaged. Thirdly, godly parents have the responsibility for providing for the home. Again, it's futile for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labor. This is how he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, this passage assumes that we understand that it is first and foremost our responsibility to provide for our children. And it can be humbling to think about the task of providing for your children. Parents, we are called to provide meals, clothes, medicine, love, counsel, instruction, discipline, encouragement, fun, and limitless other things. However, this passage lets us know that we're not intended to be fearful or frantic in providing for our families, but to trust and rest in Him by being reminded that God still gives us sleep. Parents, when it comes to provision, first you need to know that your kids do not have to have all of their wants, just their needs. And if you stay up late at night... And you put yourself in thousands and thousands of dollars in debt that is beyond your means for the sake of providing for your children something that will be there one season and gone the next. What you may be replacing it with is your presence and your nearness and your voice is what they need more than anything else. You do your best. Work hard, live inside of a budget, honor God, seek His face, face, bring your needs before Him, and then go to bed at night trusting that God will provide. Listen, I'm a dad of three young children. And can I say, I feel those same worries. I feel those same struggles trying to provide for my children. But can I tell you, one of the greatest comforts to me in those moments, those moments when I struggle to be a father, I'm so thankful that first I'm a son. And I'm reminded that I'm not alone. That my God is with me. Sometimes the best thing you can do as a parent is to first be a child. 
be a child of God. Now before we leave this first truth, let me say that parenting is hard and the responsibilities are enormous. Somebody said once that parenting is the hardest job on earth. And, and that's true to a point. But I would say to you here, parenting is not a job. It is a God-given responsibility. And because it's a God-given responsibility, it's not like a job where you can just get fired if you mess up. God is with you. He's with you in your struggles. He's with you in your good days. And He's with you in your bad days. And God wants to be with you today. I would say this morning, there's no prayer that God wants to hear more today than the prayer of a mama or a daddy or a grandmama or a granddad who would come before God and say, Oh God, help me to raise a godly home. I believe God wants to meet you right there where you are. So this first truth this morning is that godly parents need God. Second truth today is that the kingdom of God needs godly parents. Now, while parenting can be found indirectly in verses 1 and 2, it is directly addressed in verses 3 and 5. It says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, the words and imagery in these verses clearly communicate not just parenting, but the purpose of parenting, which is the launching out of children into the world for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. So often in parenting, it's easy for us to miss the mark, to miss the main goal because of the day in and day out. My former pastor used to say, in raising kids, the days are long, but the years are short. How many of you can say amen to that? Sometimes when you're in the middle of these long days, it's easy to miss the grander purpose of raising children. So I want to give you three quick keys to help us as parents focus on raising kingdom kids. The first is this. Godly parents raise kingdom kids when we are stewarding our children. When you think about the word steward, you think about somebody who is caring for something that's not necessarily their own. They've been given charge over something. You think about a, a butler or you think about uh, somebody who, who cares for things in a museum or somebody, somebody in that aspect. And the truth is, that's kind of what this text is leading us to. When it says, behold, children are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. So underline that word, gift and reward. And they help us together understand what it means to steward our children. The word gift in this passage in the Hebrew means inheritance or a heritage. Now, this is important to think about. You don't inherit something from yourself. An inheritance is something that you receive that was first possessed or owned by someone else. The psalmist here is pointing the fact that children are first and foremost the possession of God and are gifted to parents, but ultimately... They belong to him. The second word in this text, again, helps us understand the picture of stewardship and parenting. And it is reward. The word reward in this passage means wages or payment. Now, a wage or a payment is something that is yours, but it was given to you by somebody else, but you rightfully possess it. So again, a gift is something that is necessarily not yours that was given to you, but a reward is something that is yours that you have earned a rightfully possess it. Now these two words may seem like they contradict, but actually together they more fully paint the picture of how godly stewards, how uh, godly parents, how we are to steward our children. My children are mine, but they are also God's. My children are God's, but they are also mine. They are God's in that they were created by God, sustained by God, and created for God to do His will and find their purpose and satisfaction in Him. 
However, they are also mine. Only in that I get to love them, care for them, enjoy them. But my ultimate responsibility is to help them see and find that they are God's. And when we don't have this mindset of stewardship and parenting, we are destined to miss the mark. Parents and grandparents here today, we need to know this. If we view our children as fully ours, then we can never expect them to one day be fully God's. Parents, we have to have it as our goal to be like Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It was when she was blessed with the child of Samuel, her first response was to go and bring that child back to God. This is our responsibility. Oh God, I thank you that they're mine, but oh God, they're yours. Oh God, I thank you that they're yours, but you allow them to be mine. Secondly, godly parents raise kingdom kids, not just when they're stewarding their children well, but when they're sending their children. Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Stewarding your children well to love and serve God will naturally lead to you sending your children. Because the greatest mission for every Christian is to live a life as servants of God. This passage reminds us that the role of a parent is to send your children out into the world to live and function in a way that brings glory and honor to God. By using the illustration of children as arrows and parents as archers, this imagery can kind of help us think about some ways that we can send our children well into life. Again, this is that part of God's given them to me for a season, but God, ultimately, I've got to give them back to you. Our children being arrows and us as parents being archers remind us to be focused on the target. You know, it's really easy, by the way, with peer pressure among other parents, which is a real thing, by the way, to allow the greatest goal in parenting to be that my children become happy or my children become well-educated, or my children become the greatest in athletics or music, or or ultimately that my children become the most popular, or that ultimately they, they have everything they want. And again, there's nothing necessarily bad with those things, but that can't be the greatest goal of your life. You can give your children everything they want. They can be captain of everything at school. They can be the most popular and be voted class president. But if they leave your house not knowing Jesus, then what have we done? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 reminds us that the greatest thing we can do for our children is to point them to Jesus. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. His children will have a refuge. What's that idea? It's a picture of us sending our children out to know God. Francis Chan made a statement one time that reminds us in all areas of life, but especially in parenting, saying this, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at the wrong things in life that don't really matter. Wow, think about that. How easy is that in raising children or raising the next generation that we could leave and say, man, look how we've succeeded. Our kids are the the best of everything. But sometimes we can be be failing at the most important things. Our children being arrows remind us as parents to shape our arrows so that they will fly correctly. And this is just that responsibility of us investing in our children. By the way, this is what we're trying to do with this 12 Essential Conversations is to help you shape your 
children. If you're an archer, if you've ever spent any time around archery, I'm an outdoorsman. I love to bow hunt, and especially you guys who remember back in the days when you had the aluminum arrows that would bend. One of the things that you always had to do was to inspect your arrows. You would spin them, and you would look at the fletchings, and you would make sure that the, the, the arrowhead or the, the, the broadhead was attached correctly. You would do all these things to make sure that they are sent out well. And this is our responsibility as parents is to shape our children in such a way that when they are shot out into the world that they hit the mark. This is ultimately us discipling our children. How do we do it? You do it just like any other area of discipleship. You teach your children about God. You lead your children to God. By the way, one of the greatest prayers, parents, you need to be praying for your children is that they would come to a saving relationship with Jesus. We pray that for all of our children, that at an early age they would come to faith in Christ. Help your children follow God. But can I say one of the greatest things you can do in discipling your children is to model loving God. You know the number one reason why kids that grow up in church leave the church when they go to college or enter adulthood? Because they never really saw faith practiced in their home. I heard a music minister's son several years ago, a dear friend of mine, he left the faith in college and took him years, but finally God drew him back. But he said the statement was is that he never saw his dad open his Bible any time except Saturday nights. He never saw the Bible opened in his home except the days before he would go to church. Parents, our children will one day become adults, and this is our responsibility to shape them as best as we can. But I will say this warning here today. There are some great godly people who shape their children well, who their children still one day leave the faith. And I would say to you here this morning is that that's not on you. We can do the best we can as parents, but ultimately all of our children will one day have to stand before God on their own and make their own decisions for Jesus. We want to give them the best shot we can. And then lastly, our children being arrows is meant that they were made to be released. You know, when we think about sending our kids out, we usually think about moments like sending them to college. Or sending them off to a career. We talk about, we think about walking them down the aisle. There are sending moments that we think about as parents. But often are our sending moments truly centered around ourselves, or they center around the glory of God. This became a reality to Kimberly and I a few years ago. We did a missions weekend at our church talking about the, the gospel and people going to the nations. We were praying that God would raise up people to, to go to the nations. And I remember after it was over with that evening, our little girl walks into our room and crawls up in the bed, to, bed with us with tears in her eyes. And this is the statement, Mom and Daddy, I think God wants me to one day be a missionary. I think God one day wants me to go and to tell other people about Jesus in places where they don't know him. And I'll be honest with you, as a parent, I don't know if that's God's will for her life as an adult. God will work that out. But what I will say here today is what it did in my heart was to say, am I really ready to send my kids out for the glory of God? Is the greatest desire of my heart that they would give their lives fully to Jesus? Or is it that they would go to college and get married and have kids and, have, and I'd have grandkids and they would live the American dream? Church family, we need to let it be in our heart. Oh God, I just want to send them out for you, whatever your will is. And then lastly this morning, godly parents raise kingdom kids when they are savoring their children. I love it. It says, ending here in verse 5, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak to their enemies in the gate. This passage reminds us that one of the greatest responsibilities in parenting is also one of our greatest blessings. And I will say this, the more you savor your children, the more you enjoy your children, the more likely are you are to send your children. I can't tell you how many adults that I counsel with that have a hard time understanding the love of God because they 
didn't grow up in a good, loving family. If you love your children well and you love God, then you're giving them one of the greatest foundations that you could possibly give them to serve God. Let me give you a few ways you can savor your kids. First, spend time with your children. Church family, I talked about cell phones earlier for kids. Can I say something? We need to talk about cell phones with parents. One of the greatest things you can do is put your phone down. I, I was listening to Micah Loggins, our new associate uh, worship minister. He uh, came in, uh, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, and he said that now he puts his phone on the charger in the bathroom, away from them, so that when he's lying in the bed, he can speak with his wife, he can talk with his children. It is out of reach when he gets home. I can say that's a wise thing to do. Spend time with your children. Have fun with your children. Laugh with your children. Speak well to your children. Speak well about to them, build them up, speak life into your children, and also speak well about your children. There's nothing that will injure the heart of a child more than if your child feels like you are, they are an inconvenience to you. And I would say a third great point to savor your kids is to seek to expand your children. The Bible says here that your quiver is full of them. Nothing that says to your children more that I love you than to look at them and say, I love you so much we want to do it again. And you can do that through having more children. You can do that through foster care. You can do that through adoption. There's so many ways that you can engage your family. Can I say something to you? Just a little TV time out here as we get ready to close. One of the things that I think we need to be really guarded about in the church is when we see the families that break the mold, that go beyond the two or three kids, that have four kids, five kids, six kids, eight kids, and we say, man, look at those weirdos. According to Scripture, they're not weird, they're blessed. And we need to celebrate having children. And raising children. Church family, we've talked a lot here today about what it means to raise godly children. Godly parents need God. And the kingdom of God needs godly parents. And for all of us in this room who have children, grandchildren, and one day for those of you who are prayerfully seeking one day to have kids, and even the church family as a whole, we are all engaged in this in some way. Brother Ron comes, I'm going to ask Brother Ken to come. We're going to prepare to close. And as we do, I want to give you this invitation first and foremost. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Zach, I know that I need to do more for my family. I want to raise godly children. Can I say something to you here today? There is no middle ground here. You will either be investing in your children intentionally to point them to Jesus or the world will have them. This is the war that we're in. But you can never lead your children to a God that you don't know. The first thing you need to do before you take on the mantle of father or mother, grandfather, grandmother, is to take on the mantle of child. To believe that God loves you. That religion is not religion to you. But it's a relationship with Jesus that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that you give your life to him saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. This is where it begins. This has been my prayer this whole week is that the first step that would happen today is that God would call up some parents today to a real relationship with Jesus. And God is ready to meet with you there. So I'm going to invite everybody in this room to bow your head and close your eyes just for one moment. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know Him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Not do you go to church, not are you religious, but do you really know God? And if you don't here today, 
He wants to know you. You can call out to him right there where you are. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, Jesus. And I ask you to save me. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. This is just between you and I. We had several people in the first service that said that they gave their life to Jesus today. And I'm wondering, in this room here today, did any of you today pray and say, Pastor Zach, I gave my life to Jesus? Just between me and you, with nobody looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. This is just between you and I. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just glance up at me? Would you just look up at me and fix your gaze on me here just for a moment and I just want to make eye contact with you. I just want to be able to pray for you here today. You say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I gave my life to Jesus today. Would you just look up right there where you are? Is that you today? If you looked up at me this morning, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Before you leave here today, take that little blue card of the seat back in front of you and write on that. There's a little place where you can mark, I gave my life to Jesus today. At the conclusion of the service, I'll be in a little welcome area we have just in the foyer. I'd love to meet with you personally, but I encourage you to tell somebody about that day. Maybe the person who you came with or invited you and say, I gave my life to Jesus. But then also for all of you who are here today as parents, again, this is a four-week journey. And maybe today as we sing, you would just say, oh God, here I am. Fresh and anew, here I am. For your name and glory. Would you stand? Our pastors will be up front as... Brother Ken begins to lead us. If you need to join this church, if you need somebody to pray for you, you feel free to come as we sing.